0: You sure? Yeah. You guys have got to give me a little bit more than this this morning. That's it. Come on. It's really better the first time round, just so you know. Um, I just have to say Phil's away for a few weeks. You won't see him for a, a couple of weeks. He's, um, he's got some holiday. I think someone said at the moment he's, uh, well, he's in Venice, so he's probably on a gondola with a Cornetto. I think someone said that and <laughs> just needs some Pavarotti or something to go with it and he'll be all right. um, But after that he's preaching away as well. So you won't see him here. He's not left us. He's just away for a couple of weeks. Um, Is it okay if I share something with you this morning, a truth that is changing my life? Is that okay? Uh, I say changing my life because I think when we say changed our lives, it, it gives the impression that something happened suddenly. And in the Christian life, I love the suddenlies. I love when God just turns up and he wrecks you and he changes something. But my experience is there's more steadily than there are suddenlies. Because in the, in the scriptures as you read, it talks about seed and it talks about growth and it talks about time. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody go down under the power of the Holy Spirit and they've come up just as terrible as they were before. And so you could say there's a suddenly doesn't necessarily mean change. But the Christian life is about a steadily. It's about things growing and things changing us. And I want to share with you a, a truth this morning that's so wonderful that if we can grab it, if we can hold it, it will change your life. I, I guarantee you it will change your life. This is what I want to speak with you about this morning. I want to talk with you about the reality that God is for you. Straight away you're going to just say hundred percent amen brother. You're not even going to bat an eyelid at that truth that God is for us. What I am not going to challenge this morning is that you know it. What I want to challenge this morning is whether this is a concept in your mind or a reality in your life. A concept in your mind or a reality in your life I'm just going to scratch the surface I think in a sermon you can come in and you can open something up and you can scratch the surface and if you do really well you can maybe scratch down a little bit but I've got something in me that says we've got to hold on to stuff how many sermons have we heard amongst us but we've got to keep scratching when we go home we've got to keep talking we've got to keep praying we've got to keep looking at stuff so that we get some depth I can only open something up to you this morning but I want it to go deep deep in your hearts. This is what I want to do with you. I want to look at what it means that God is for us and the impact that it's going to have on our lives if we grab it. If you've got your Bibles, come with me to Romans 8. You know, I I love the book of Romans. And I think someone said if we had no other books of the Bible, if we only had one book of the Bible, the one book that we would have would be the book of Romans. Because it talks about all your life, from where you came from to your salvation and everything after that. It's just a wonderful, wonderful book. So we're going to go to Romans 8. And in Romans 8, it's one of my most just favorite passages of Scripture. And this is where we're going to be camped this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, Romans 8, verses 31 to 34. Romans 8, 31 to 34. Let me read what it says. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honour at God's right hand, pleading for us. What a passage of scripture. I mean, if I was to get down now, I'd be happy. But that's not a sermon. and You're getting a little bit more than that this morning. What does it mean that God is for us? I've only got one point this morning. I've got one point, I'm just going to look at it from four different angles. Now, just because I've got one, one point doesn't mean shorter, okay? In fact, this one might be slightly longer. Just, just throw that out there before we carry on very quickly. Let me tell you the first thing it means that God is for us. The truth that God is for you means that he is positive towards you. You agree with that? If someone is for you, they've taken a stance when they look at you, when they relate to you, when they communicate with you, that is positive. God is for us and therefore he is positive with us. There are some truths I absolutely love about the Christian life. I love Matthew 1.23 when he's talking about Jesus coming and they say he's going to be called Emmanuel, God is. With us. I love that truth that Jesus came to the earth. He dwelt on earth with all humanity. And even when he's raised, he, he says he's still with us even till the end of the age. God is always with us. I love that truth. And there's another truth I, I love that it's in Romans 8:11, and that's the truth that God is not just with us, but he's also in us. That when we got saved, he poured out his Holy Spirit into us, that he's no longer just with us, but he's also in us. I love that truth as well. But you know the truth that God is with us and the truth that God is in us, sorry, yeah, in us, only tells me about his position. It doesn't tell me about his prerogative. It doesn't tell me about his intentions. It doesn't tell me how he relates to me. See, you can have somebody with you constantly, and they can be negative. They can be draining. They can be fault finding. It's what we talked about before, right, the BMWs. You know what they are? The blamers, moaners and whiners. <laughs> Do you know anybody like that in your circles? If you don't, you're probably the person. I'm just going to... Uh, 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 I'm only joking. Uh, I'm not joking. You're probably the person. if it's But they can be with you and if they really bug you, then they can be in your head. So in the sense that people that are negative can be with you and in you. And if you know somebody like that and you feel negative towards somebody, you really need to listen to my sermon on unforgiveness. (laughs) And you need to deal with that. But just because somebody is with you doesn't mean they're positive towards you. Do you feel like God is negative with you? Do you feel that it's hard to please him? Do you feel as if God is fault-finding God is not just with us, and he's not just in us, he's also a God who is for us. Amen. It tells you how he deals with you while he is with you, and it shows you how he deals with you when he is in you, in a positive way. God is not an auditor. Does anyone have to have audits? An auditor what they want to do, is they want to come and find something that's wrong in your process. They check that it's right, but they want to look, they're looking for stuff that's not right. God is not like that. He's not an auditor, always looking at your faults. I love what it says in Ephesians 1.4. It says, even before he made the world, and I think something's been said along these lines this morning, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. What a wonderful scripture. God is positive towards us because of the position he has put you in. In Romans 8.31, that that verse we looked at a little bit earlier, it says, what can we say about things so wonderful? So what are these wonderful things that talks about our positive position? If you read through Romans 8, do you know what it says? I'm just going to summarise. It says that you're not condemned. It says you've been set free. It says you've been adopted. It says you've been called. It says you've been given right standing and you've been given his glory. No wonder these are wonderful things. God is positive about your position. If you read through that passage, Romans 8, 31 to 34, and you just look through it, I'm not going to do it now, but look how many times it says he is for us. You're going to count maybe on two hands just how many times God says he is for you. He is positive towards you. He has put you in a positive position. So what about when we do wrong? I mean, what about when we sin? What about when we fall short? See, we get it and we can say, Amen, God is positive towards me. But sometimes we do that until we screw up. And then we question whether God is positive with us. How can he see us without fault? Even when we do wrong, even if we're in sin, you know God still deals with you in a positive way. Did you know that? The God that sees us without thought doesn't mean he doesn't care about us and what we do. He, he's not far removed, just blasé about our lives. He cares and he's positive and he's in your life. He's in your life. Uh, we went to um, Crete me and Amanda for our honeymoon, and when we were coming back, there were some kids behind us and their parents, and, and these kids, I mean, they kicked us for four hours in the back of the chair, and, and their parents are sitting there, and they're like, oh, these are my little angels. See, so we think like, it's God like that, we just do whatever we want, and God's like, oh, aren't they sweet, aren't they lovely and sweet? God doesn't do that. He isn't uncaring with us. You know, the fact that you are without fault means that no matter what you do, he never changes opinion about you and the position you're in. He's not dealing with you on account of your sins, because Jesus has already paid the price for your sins. He's dealing with you on account of righteousness. That means he corrects you. And there's a huge difference between correcting someone and condemning someone. Huge difference. Because he is for us, he will correct us. Let me just put that out there to you. You know, Phil was a teacher, as you know. He was a teacher for many years. And so when he comes here, he sometimes likes to get his little teacher fix in. And he does that when I give him a document. Because when the document comes back to me, it's just got red pen marks all the way through it. And there's just loads of things crossed out. But do you know that he doesn't just cross out what's wrong? He puts in there what's right. That's the difference between condemnation and correction. Condemnation will make you feel guilty, make you feel shame, make you feel cut off from God. Correction will show you what's right. See, if God's called us to righteous living, he's only ever going to show us what's right. Right? Or wrong? (laughs) He wants your life to be full, the most abundant, full of joy, full of peace, full of love, full of faith. He's for you and that's why he will correct you. He has promised that he will finish the good work he has started in you no matter what you do God is for you let me say it doesn't mean there's not consequences if you go out and live your life if you're born again you've got the Holy Spirit in you he wants to lead you in a certain way if you you don't go his way there's a consequences it says if we uh, sow to the flesh of the flesh you'll reap destruction in your life you can reap your harvest consequences if you don't follow after Jesus but God is still for you I heard this wonderful story um, about this man. He went to Westminster Chapel and he got saved at Westminster Chapel. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was preaching. And and he got saved. Wonderful conversion. And he he met a girl at the church and they got married and everything was going great. And one day he he met someone else and went running off with this woman. He went running off with her and, and left his wife, went off with this woman. And he even came back to his wife uh, his ex-wife then and asked her to sign over all the documents for the house so he could have it and he sold the house to take off with this other woman. Uh, but his life, he started, to sow, he started to reap what he was sowing and he, and he started to go downhill and he got depressed and he got into a real state and he got to such a place of destruction that one day he went to London, went to Westminster Bridge and climbed over the edge of Westminster Bridge. And as he was there, he was about to jump and as he was about to jump he heard Big Ben chime 6 o'clock. And he thought of the old preacher down the road at Westminster Chapel. And he said, maybe I'll just go and hear that old preacher one more time. And he walked down to Westminster Chapel. And as he walked into the church, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Lord, have mercy on the backslider. And he fell on his knees, broke down and wept. Went back to his wife. Changed everything around for him in his life. God is for you. See, uh, he missed out on serving God. He's missed out on a ton of stuff in life. But do you know that no matter where you go, I I love what Phil said last week, that he will pursue you. That God is always for you. He won't ever let you go. And and, uh, for me, that doesn't make me want to just live carelessly. It makes me want to just give more. Knowing that God is always for me. God is always for you. Because God is for you, He is always positive towards you. And because he is for you, do you know that he is interested in you? Do you know that God is interested in you? Do you really know it? Do you know it that he's interested in you? One of the great things about Jesus' ministry on earth was the time he had for the individual. Think about it, it's a three and a half year span, how much he had to get done, his purpose and his plans. Yet he always had time for the individual. He has Nathaniel come and he says, I saw you while you were under the tree. While Nathaniel was off in private, and, and he, he was just amazed that Jesus knew that Jesus cared about what he was doing in that place where no one else could see him. You have the woman at the well and it just happens at the time that uh, all the disciples go off to buy lunch that he's alone with this woman so he can minister to her one-on-one and bring her to a place of salvation. He walks through Jericho and he sees Zacchaeus. And he says, Zacchaeus, I have to eat with you. He called him by name. He had time for the individual. You know, Jesus never did chance meetings, only divine appointments. And he is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. You know that means how he was acting and what he did on earth, he does today with you and me. Amen. If he was ministering to the individual then, he's ministering to the individual now. He's ministering to us personally, individually. He is interested in you. It says that his thoughts are about you as innumerable as the sands on the seashore. Do you know that they're not bad thoughts that he has about you? They're all positive. They're all for you. Do you pour out your heart to God, knowing that he is interested in you, knowing that he hears you, knowing that he he knows what's going on in private, knowing your secrets? And you might think that's scary, but you you need to know that he's for you in all that stuff. He's for you in all that stuff. Do you know that he desires to minister to you his love, his grace, his truth? Have you ever had God speak to you for a sermon? Ever had God speak to you through the Bible? Ever had God speak to you For a prophecy. Has anyone ever experienced that? See, He's for you. He's interested in you. And that's why He wants to speak to you. God is so for you. He's for you as an individual. And do you know that He's for us as a church? Do you know that God is for Hope Community Church? Do you know that He's for us here this morning? He is interested in us today. So much so. That his presence is filling this place right now. You might say it's just heat and other things filling this place. But do you know the presence of God is filling this place and I'm not saying that for hype. He says wherever two or three or eighty are gathered and that's my little paraphrase there. But God is here and do you know the only reason he's here is because he's interested in us. He's been speaking to us this morning because he cares about us as a church. He cares about us as a body. Do you expect to meet him here? Do you expect to grow in him here? Are you excited to be here? I mean, we should be excited to be here. If Jesus is excited to be here, we should be excited to be here. And Jesus is excited to be here with us. He is interested in us. Because God is for us, he is positive towards us. He is interested in us. And do you know that God is also on our side? Do you know that God is on your side? Are you guys doing all right? Is it just really hot and you're just craving a little bit because I'm just looking out. And Are we good? Can, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, can we carry on? I just need a little something now and again. It just makes me, you know, you're not doing a Hannah May on me. That's important. Uh, I know that. Thanks, Andrew. I think what you prophesied over. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Look at that verse in Romans 8.31 again. If God is for us, who can ever Be against us. I mean, have you thought of that? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? Do you know, in the Old Testament, in Joshua 5 13 and 14, and and Joshua went went down and he, he met the army of the Lord, the commander of the army of the Lord, and he said, Who are you, friend or foe? And he said, I'm neither, I'm from the Lord, I'm for the Lord. He says, I'm not your friend or your foe. I'm not for you or against you. I'm for God. That's what he said. But do you know that God's side has become your side? God has now got a side and you're on it. Because God is for you. When you got saved, you came into his family. Can I tell you that God is a family man? God is a family man. Paul says, if God is for us, who is against us? How many of us are looking at who is against us rather than who is for us? Are you focusing on a person who is against you? Do you have enemies? Do you think about those who are against you? I mean, a good chance are that you're going to have some enemies. If you live and some people just don't like you, you just can't do nothing about that. But do you focus on those who are against you? Do you focus on the devil and what the devil is doing? Do you always talk about the enemy? Our sun is 400 times bigger than our moon. And our sun is 400 times further away from Earth. And every now and again, we have this absolutely wonderful God-designed event called a total eclipse, which we didn't get to see this year, by the way. And it's when the moon passes by an orbit in front of the sun but because of the moon is 400 times closer it looks like the same size as the sun this small little rock looks the same as this big pulsating ball of fire you know if we look at who is against us rather than who is for us it is like looking at the moon in a solar eclipse Focusing on our enemies means we bring them really close in our sight and it can eclipse the one who is for us. Make no mistake about it. The world can be against you. The Bible says that. The way it works, the system, you can have enemies and you have the devil. You can say the devil is against me. But Paul says, who can be against you? Who can be against you? The sun is 400 times bigger than the moon. That's his point. The person who is dust, are you focusing on them? They are created, finite, broken with sin, fallen. Don't talk about the enemy all the time. He is nothing compared to who is for you. He is defeated. You know, Isaiah 14, 16, it's uh, talking about the king of Babylon, but it's picture language for the devil. And it says, everyone there will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? It's like the saints at the end of time are going to laugh. At this one, do you know he's more like the crazy scientist in the Wizard of Oz, trying to be this loud thing that's roaring and that, but he's nothing, he is defeated. The truth is that God is more than 400 times bigger than your enemies, he is the creator of everything, he speaks, and stars are formed, he breathes, and life is given, he is outside of time and holds everything in the palm of his hand. He is for you, he is powerful, he's majestic, he's almighty, he is God, and he is for you, not against you. See, when you look at the one who is for you, you don't give much time to those who are against you. I need to say this here, that because God is on our side, it doesn't mean everything's going to go your way. And I'm sure life experience has told you that, that sometimes things just don't work out the way that you want them to work out. Uh, I remember when I got saved, and we were talking about this at the cafe the other day, we had this romantic notion that when we get saved, everything's going to be cool. I mean, I've got God on my side. How can anything go wrong if I've got God with me? I mean, he's the creator of the universe, he's with me, so everything's got to work out just the way I like it. <laughs> In middle school, when we were about four foot nothing, um, must have been about eight or nine, one of my friends, I don't know what he drunk, but he had a huge growth spurt, and he, he went up to about five foot ten and and it was fantastic when we played football because all we would do is kick it to his head and he would just head the ball in and I tell you, we never lost a game and the other team was so frustrated because they couldn't do nothing. He was just like 10 times taller than everybody else and I'm thinking, you know what? You don't lose if you've got the big man on your side. (laughs) But that's not the Christian life. That's not the Christian life. When we get saved, it gets tougher. Can I just put that out there? Is that a reality? Are we gonna all be honest and agree? Because you're walking in truth, you're going against the grain. But the circumstances you face does not change the truth that God is for you. Think about Paul and what he went through. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was rejected. He was mocked. He was misunderstood. Would you swap any of your circumstances now for any of the circumstances he went through? See, if any man had the uh, right to say, I'm not sure you're on my team here, God, It's probably Paul. But this is what he says instead. He says, We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. You know what it means? It means things are going to go wrong. There's things you're not going to understand. It means people might hate you and come after you, but it says in spite of all those things, you are not abandoned. God is still for you. In Romans 8, and I'm just going to pick this now, it says, Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. No matter what comes against you, and even in that passage, it talks about that you might even die. It talks about being hungry, destitute. It it puts all these things in the mix, and it says, Look, no matter what you go through, overwhelming victory is still yours in Christ. God is on your team, and he is always for you. He always wins. We've seen that tragedy in Charleston, right? Right? recently. But you know those nine guys are in glory. Those nine people, sorry. That God they are so honored before God in heaven. They are so honored before Jesus because they laid down their life as martyrs. But let me let me tell you something that God honors those who die for the sake of the gospel. And I believe something powerful will happen in Charleston. Because God doesn't leave that undone. He he always honours his saints. Every time you see people killed for the gospel, I guarantee you there will be some kind of revival that takes place there. God is on your side. God is for you, regardless of what you face. I've got one more angle and then we're done and we can call it a day. You know, one of the words that the concordance uses to say God is for us is betterment. God being for us is for our betterment. And, and let me put my word in here, and it's the word performance. God is for us for our performance, for us living the Christian life, for our conduct. God is for us. And, and I purposely mention this after position. Because of in the world, performance comes first. But that's not what it's like in the kingdom. God is for you about your position before your performance. The world says it's after you've performed, we will show you that we are for you. See, if you live in the world, you're rewarded for results. You do your exams, you celebrate. You work hard, you get a bonus. You win a a sports game, you get a trophy. People indicate they are for you after you have performed. I've got a wonderful friend called Keith, he comes to the cafe, and he's just so lovely that he just makes me feel condemned, just how nice he is, you know, just that kind of person. And, And... And he went out, he's a piano teacher, and he took one of his students, one of these boys, he took them to their piano exam. So he takes this boy and the boy's mother and takes them to the exam. And the boy goes for the exam, and when they come out, he says, right, let's go celebrate. And the mother looks at him really funny and says, well, how can we celebrate? We don't know the results. And he's like, no, no, we celebrate anyway. Where do you want to go? And he's like, McDonald's, let's go to McDonald's. And he went there and he bought him McDonald's, celebrated with him. Celebrated with him for who he was rather than what he had done. Position over performance. And that's what God is like towards you. Don't you love the story of the prodigal son that the son comes home after living in sin and the first thing that happens is he gets steak? I mean, have you thought about that? God gives him prime fillet steak, the father, just for coming home. Daphne's potatoes, asparagus, spice <laughs> of cheesecake. After, I mean, it was incredible. It was incredible. But you see, see God wants you to live from the dinner table. Can I say that? Mm, yeah. That steak precedes service. That's what it's like in the kingdom of God. He is for you, performing out of your position, and He also helps you in your performance, in what you do, in living the Christian life. And I need to be honest here, and that's why I said this is changing my life, because it was something I struggled with so much that God was for me in my performance, and I'm still out working that. See, when I got saved, I was determined to show God that I was worth saving, that He was really blessed to have me in the kingdom, and I was going to prove it to Him that I was His man. And and so what happened was, rather than this wonderful saviour, he became like an unpayable debt. God became the equivalent to me of Wonga.com. Do you know what that means? He got me out of jail, but then charged me 400% interest and doesn't help with the repayments. That's what I saw God like. It was all on me, all about me living for God to show that I was for him. It was all about me. My motivation was right. I wanted to live for his glory. I wanted to please him. I didn't want to miss out. But my method was wrong. My method was wrong. And maybe some of you know that. Some of my heroes have experienced that. Charles Spurgeon, do you know what he said? He said he saw Jesus as a harsh taskmaster he could never satisfy. Bill Johnson said he felt ashamed at his humanity, that he wasn't holy enough. Derek Prince said he felt like a brick wall was in front of him every time he tried to do something for God. And I thought, man, I'm in good company here. And maybe you felt the same. So you read the Gospels and see the standard. Have you ever sat down and read the Sermon on the Mount? If, anything wants, you, if you feel good about your Christian life, read the Sermon on the Mount. And just the requirements on your life. Because it will make you feel absolutely terrible about where you are right now. But the point of it is, is that you can't do it on your own. That's the whole point of everything Jesus says. He came to top up the law. He fulfilled the law. He raised it to a higher level. And he says, you can't even do it before. You definitely can't do it now. You need me to be for you, in you. Praise God. You know, I mentioned those, those guys, those heroes of mine. You know, they didn't stay locked in to that belief system that, that God was against them. They, they had a revelation that God is for them in everything that they do. Let me just say how this happens. How does God uh, show us that he's for us, in us, in how we perform in our Christian lives? I'm just going to reference these scriptures. I know you guys, you're hanging in there. So let me just do this and we're going to close it up. In John 14, 26, if you want to note this down, uh, it says, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will teach us everything and remind us of everything Jesus said. In Hebrews 10, 16, it says, Holy Spirit will put his laws in our hearts and in our minds. In Romans 8.11, it says the same spirit that raised Jesus gives life to our mortal bodies. He reminds us of his teaching. He gives us the desire to do it. And he empowers us to go out and do those very things he wants us to do. God is for you, in you, living the Christian life. Jesus Christ produces righteousness in us. And we have to get this. We have to know it. He is for us and he is in us. Let me forward down to the end. He's for you in your conduct, and I, I, I'm just gonna finish up with this: that he's for you in your calling. What I mean by that, he's for you in your giftings. He's for you with what God has put into you individually, uniquely, for his kingdom. He is for you in these things. In Joshua 4:14, 4, it says, That day the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of the Israelites. Do you know that if God's called you to do something, what it means is he makes you look good? If God has called you to do something, it means he makes you look good. Every time I come to preach, I sit there on Monday thinking, I've got nothing to say to you. Thursday, I sit there and think, I've got nothing to say to you. But you know what? God is in the business of giving us what we need to do what he's called us to do. we just had Amanda 's birthday, and so I went out and bought some presents. I bought them, I wrapped them, I made them look nice, I got them already. And Kean goes and gives Amanda all these presents, and he gets all the praise. <laughs> he gets all the praise. But do you know all he did? All he did was give her the gift. I was the one who wrapped it. I was the one who enabled him, and you know as believers, it's our job to go and give God the glory. Kean hasn't got that part yet. He's still keeping the glory all for himself. But, but do you see how God always enables you to do what he's called you to do? Do you have a confidence that God is for you and will help you with what he's called you to do? God will make you look good. And I've just got one more story. And this happened a week ago. See, I'm not perfect and I get stuff wrong. You need to know that. I'm not perfect. And you're probably aware of that. And some of you might be angry. I don't know. But uh, I'm not perfect. And a week ago, two weeks ago, I came into the cafe. There was a load of people sitting in there. And I just walked in and I said, oh, hi. And then I just made a beeline for my office to get on. And I ignored Cass, didn't I, Cass? I ignored you. I ignored you. You can smile and you can agree. It's okay. I did ignore you. And as I walked into my office, you know what God said to me? Go and talk to Cass. So I turned around to come out to find Nikki making a beeline for me. And I mean weapons were drawn. Because but you see, God loves me too much to let Nikki get me. And as I came to her, I said, before even Nikki said anything to me, I said, I've just got to go and speak to Cass. And she was like, oh good, the swords went back in the (laughs) (laughs) sheaths. And I had the most wonderful hour conversation with Cass. We had a great time, didn't we? But you see, God is for you. If I'm called to do it, he's got to give me where I lack. And if I respond to him, I'll get it right. It doesn't mean I always will. But God, if he's called you to something, he will give you everything you need. Are you using your giftings? Are you scared you might not be good enough? He is for you and will make you look good with what he has called you to do. I'm going to finish now, but... Do you know that Chris Tomlin song? We've probably rinsed it too many times, but it was water you turned into wine. And I love the, the, the bridge in that. It's like, if our God is for us, who can ever stop us? If our God is for us, who can stand against? There's something about knowing this truth, that God is for you, that he is for you in your position, for you in your performance, that he is interested in you, and that he never abandons you, regardless of what you face, that should make us say, God, nothing can stop me living for you. Nothing can stop me from giving everything to you. Why would we hold back when our God is for us? God bless you guys.